Welcome to the Food for Thought podcast. I'm Andy Hanasek, Senior Editor of Food Processing Magazine. Tricia McRoberts is Corporate Vice President and Chief Procurement Officer for Golden State Foods. In fact, actually, she just earned that title recently, so congratulations, Tricia, on that. Tricia joins us for this episode of the Food for Thought podcast to share her insights on sustainable sourcing and packaging. Where does the industry stand after years of innovation and advancement? What is holding North American consumers and companies back? And what are some of Golden State's success stories in this arena? I hope you enjoy the episode. Tricia, thanks so much for joining me today on the Food for Thought podcast. Uh, first first podcast interview of the new year. Happy New Year to all of our listeners and happy new year to you, Tricia, and the Golden State team. Um, you know, it's it's gonna be a great year, I think, for a lot of people. We've got our industry outlook stories coming up. And one of the things I wanted to kind of talk to you about heading into the new year was the the landscape around sustainable sourcing and packaging. Let's take a, a good look at it. We'll start with uh kind of a 40,000 foot overview in a sense, and then drill down a little bit. From your perspective, where where does the industry stand? It's been years and decades of work and innovation in terms of sustainable sourcing and packaging. Where is the industry at currently from somewhat of an overview perspective? Happy New Year, Andy. I, th- I think, like you said, it's going to be a great year. I would say overall, you know, I agree. There's been a significant amount of investment and work in this space, but overall we are behind. And there's a couple of reasons that we are behind. And I would say COVID set the industry back to a certain degree. Further, you know, most recently there's been a lot of stocking coming out of the pandemic and that has resulted in many packaging suppliers having to lay off personnel. And when you're having to lay off personnel for overall business needs, the amount of money that gets invested into the research and development space can be one of those areas where investment can be cut. So as a result, I would say there have been some large black swan events that have resulted in delayed innovation, but there's still quite a bit of amazing work and passion in this space that is going on. Uh, You know, as we've evolved from the overall idea of sustainability into the ESG space. There's been a focus around reporting that has the opportunity to continue to provide a lot of insights around where focusing energy in this space can provide the most amount of value. And one of those is the area of the recycling infrastructure. So even when we have packaging that is recyclable, right now I would say at least in the United States and to a certain degree globally, we're behind in the infrastructure to be able to ensure that that actually does get recycled. Yeah, it's funny you you bring that up. I, I live in Chicago and there's a long running uh, old wives tale or whatever you want to call it that uh, ever since the city started the blue bag recycling program and that was pre uh, blue carts, uh, which the, we put out now, uh, People used to say that the the recycling, the blue bags, which you would throw into your regular trash and supposedly they got sorted into recycling, just ended up in the landfills anyway or in the regular trash stream anyway. So, you know, it was kind of 
one of those half joke, half reality kind of things. Um, so I, I hear you on the recycling. That was years ago. Is that one of the biggest things hampering the efforts for North American consumers? Or are there other things that are really putting us behind, as you said, in terms of the infrastructure and things like that? Yeah, I think that is the the infrastructure is a piece of it. I was just reading an article recently that said 96% of consumers remain confused about what they can and cannot recycle. And a third of Americans don't believe if they put it in that big blue bin that it actually will get to a recycling stream. There's been some really significant process, progress in this space, though. The How to Recycle label does help consumers and companies to mark their products in a way that helps them recycle where they should. But the reality is, you know, everybody's super busy and frazzled. I was had the opportunity to go on vacation last week and was in a, a QSR restaurant that had these beautiful noted how to recycle every single thing. And the packaging was very simplistic. And I watched consumer after consumer dump the whole tray just in one of the holes, because whether it is they were confused on it or they didn't want to take the time to do it, it does create a lot of challenges with contamination in those streams for those who are recycling. And I think also the just the experience, if you're going from something that has felt really solid, like a fork or a spoon, and now you're drinking out of a, a paper straw, it takes some time for consumers to believe if that is just as good and if they have the same experience from the old packaging that they consumed in the past. Oh, those paper straws, let me tell you. Let me put my <laughs> consumer hat on about those paper straws. I'm hoping that they get better because some of the paper straws I've had, boy, it's just like I don't need I don't need a straw at this point. Just let me drink it normally. But I hear you too, you know, keeping the consumer hat on. I you know, we've all probably been to uh, one of the national coffee chains and they've got the split garbage can where one side says landfill and the other side says recycling or some terminology accordingly. But even at that coffee shop where, you know, I've got a cup of coffee and I've got maybe a wrapper for uh, a food item, not a full meal or a whole bunch of items, even then I don't know exactly what parts need to go in which side. So I hear you. So it, it, as much as it's infrastructure, you're saying communication and education needs to kind of improve as well, right? Absolutely. I think that education goes a long way in helping with the consumer confusion component of it and, the, and ensuring that we do get a recycling infrastructure that matures. I think in addition to that, there's a lot of legislative, legislative confusion. So for example, laws are fragmented happening at local, state, and federal levels. And sometimes the individuals making those decisions might not have the background in material science to know, to your point, if you have the, uh, the warmer around the cup, if that material science of the structure of that material from, from one restaurant to the next is the same and can even go in that same stream of recycling to ensure that it doesn't contaminate in processing down the, further down in the supply chain. Yeah, and I think, you know, the less complicated you can make it, of course, the the better. So that totally makes sense. I know, you know, again, that, you know, going back to what I've experienced, you know, that was one of the things with the blue carts in Chicago. It was like, OK, you just dump everything into the blue cart, whether it's paper or recyclable plastic or whatever, but don't put it in bags and just throw it in there and make sure, OK, does it need to be washed out or not washed out and all that other stuff. So 
that that totally makes sense. And do you see other other nations being further advanced when it comes to even that education as well as the infrastructure or is the education we're just talking about and the knowledge and experience advanced elsewhere too and we're trying to catch up in North America on that as well? I think to a certain degree where in Europe they've taken more of a, a a different approach than North America has, you see differences. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, everything is recyclable. It's just a matter of is there a, is there an infrastructure to be able to make that happen, and is it financially viable to do so? There are, you know, I think confusion in Europe and the U.S. around what can and cannot be recycled or composted, and the real impact that that has. So. You know, overall, I think to a certain degree, Europe's ahead on the consumer side, but not necessarily ahead on the material science side as we partner throughout the world with organizations, whether it be our customers, our our suppliers, and everybody is really struggling with, you know, what do we have enough material to even make all of the packaging fall within one of these recyclable and compostable or, you know, whatever some other future may be. And, you know, one, do we have enough material? Two, do we have the infrastructure to make that happen? And then even further important is, does it impact the the manufacturing process? And does it create inefficiencies in that end-to-end supply chain? Let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the packaging materials and the equipment. Talk about some of the, the trends you're following and Golden State Foods is following when it comes to materials and equipment in terms of sustainability? Absolutely. You know, there's so many different trends that we're following right now, but given the materials that we service the industry, right, there's a keen focus on on recycle ready. So even if the infrastructure isn't there yet, we want to make sure that when it is there, that we have materials that are ready to go into those work streams. Foil-free is an area of focus, you know, getting that aluminum foil out of as much as our material as we can and making sure that it is still serving the purpose of why the package was there in the first place. So as we think about why do you have food packaging, it's really there to protect the consumer from a food safety perspective and also to make sure that we're eliminating waste in that total end-to-end supply chain. We are watching a lot of compostable solutions. I think that there are some dichotomies around is compostable something that consumers can understand? Does it work? Is there the infrastructure? So we're staying focused on that and that consumer education piece that we talked about before. I also think the reporting guidelines are an area that we need to continue to learn more about so that we have efficiency in reporting, whether that be on the financing finance side or whether that be on getting insights out of what you're reporting versus just filling out um, report after report. And then finally, incentive programs are an area that I think we are really trying to learn more about and see where there's opportunities to partner with other um, others in the industry around making sure that we are providing incentives for other companies and consumers to take part in, in the programs that do exist. Talk about Golden State Foods' successes of late. You know, are there any initiatives that Golden State Foods has, has embarked upon that you'd like to mention here that really kind of highlight what GSF is doing to, to further this concept, this idea, this passion, I guess, along in the industry? 
Yeah, I think, you know, one area that we don't talk a lot about at GSF is we do have a, a great aseptic business. And, and one of the solutions that I really love in the aseptic space is that while that packaging might not yet be in a recycle-ready format, it does take out a lot of the carbon footprint and the greenhouse gas emission throughout the total end-to-end supply chain, particularly if you're taking a category like, let's say, a shake in a QSR restaurant that previously was going through a cold chain and had to be refrigerated from end-to-end. That takes a lot of energy to ship it on a reefer container, to store it in a cold storage facility, and then get it to the consumer in that cold fashion. Aseptic really brings to the table a replacement that enables you to not have to ship through a cold chain, significantly reduce the impact on greenhouse gas emissions, and provide a really high-quality, food-safe, consumer-winning experience for the, for the end product. We have a lot of test-and-learn scenarios going on right now, and we also do have some solutions that historically have been really successful in terms of maximizing what we're shipping to our customers and turning the um, the product into something that reduces the waste for our customers. So if you think about how you know labor is a really large challenge within QSRs today, how do we make sure that we're right-sizing the product that they're buying that goes into um, you know whatever it may be, a, a sauce behind in the back of the house, we have a lot of solutions that optimize the size of the product that we're providing to them and works in conjunction with the, the system that is outputting it within the, the restaurant itself to maximize what we are providing from a reduction in food waste and a maximizing that consumer experience. So partnering, you know, overall partnering with the dispenser companies to have targeted solutions that that reduce the waste has been really successful for us. So you mentioned partnering, and I'm I'm glad because that that's that's my next question is when it comes to these sustainable packaging initiatives and you know the trials and the actual bringing it to market once it's you know performed well in trial. How how much collaboration is GSF doing with its customers and its vendors? We are pursuing at all ends. So if you think about the early innovation stage, we're more upstream with our suppliers, making sure that the solution works. When we get to something that looks like it has the promise of being successful, it's equally strong on the customer partnership side. So the one I mentioned earlier around the sauce portion dispensing solution is one that we were able to prove out with the supply side and then bring to the QSRs and work with them to help sell it into their franchise networks that they could really see a higher product yield, cost savings for their organization, and simplify their equipment investment, as well as drive freight efficiencies. So I think, you know, if you're helping solve a problem, that's really the key thing. You know, do you have something that is optimizing back-of-house operations? Are we together as a system reducing the waste to landfill? And are we providing a solution to a problem that exists for the consumer or the customer? Off the air a little bit when we were planning for this podcast, RFID came up as as a tool that GSF is using with its customers. Can you explain to our listeners how RFID is, is helping GSF and the customers in terms of these initiatives? 
Absolutely. Uh, within our protein business, we were an early adopter in partnering with the supply base and our customer around mapping a solution that would provide uh, efficient digital uh, RFID opportunities. And through that journey, one of the things that we found is that the bulk of the journey is really around process and data. So, you know, our CEO currently sits on the board of directors at GS1, and GS1 is doing a lot of phenomenal work in the space of providing standards for the data and the data governance so that as it moves through the platform, the solutions can really drive the value, whether it be, you know, in in a scenario where you have to issue a, rec a recall or it's in the general ordering of or rotation of the material throughout the supply chain. But RFID is something that we've been in active testing with um, for a number of years, and, and we've learned a lot throughout the way. So I think keeping that mindset of being open-minded and, and not thinking that the first solution is going to be the answer out of the gate is a theme that applies to all of the innovation across packaging sustainability. But RFID in particular, I think, has you know a really strong future. And we currently have a solution that puts the RFID tag in the middle of the box so that it is more successful in getting through that cold chain and ensuring that we are able to provide uh, results to problems that are experienced in the field, whether it be rotation of the product or ordering the optimal material and making sure that there aren't any issues of quality or service throughout that end-to-end -end supply chain. But yeah, RFID I think is, is really exciting and, and we've got some, some great activity going on in that space right now. Definitely the future, Andy. Speaking of, we talk a lot about the data revolution that's going on across the industry. What type of, not just monetary investment, but capital and time investment does a company like GSF and its customers have to make in order to gather that data, properly analyze it, and actually come through with some actionable results when it comes down to it? Is it a big big spend in a sense, a big outlay of resources, or is it something that was, you know, that that is and was relatively manageable at the end of the day? Anytime you're bringing a solution to the table that's going to have a transformational impact, it's going to take resources and time. And it usually takes more time and resources than you initially anticipate that it will take. So we do have, you know, a dedicated team, some fully dedicated to the innovation, as well as support functions that are ad hoc in making sure that the team is meeting the objectives and the timelines that are set forth. But, you know, as scale is brought and more organizations invest in this collectively as a, a collaborative solution, that scale gets there and you're able to, you know, find something that longer term is going to be less over the course of the time. I think, you know, the key in the beginning is to make sure where you're choosing to investment spend is something that is truly solving a problem and is going to have a return on the deliverables that the team has collectively aligned to address. For the last question, I'm going to ask you to put your future forecasting hat on and look into your crystal ball. Do you see innovation speeding up and the challenges that face the industry in terms of sustainable sourcing and packaging uh, getting easier in the short term, long term? Where, where do you see 
where do you see this going moving forward? Is it an awareness thing? Is it a technology needs to catch up? And how quickly do you think that might happen? Definitely the material science needs to catch up across the board. But I do think that now that we are out of a supply constrained environment at a high level, uh, the amount of investment that is going to go into these solutions with the ESG requirements around scope three, we will start to see an increased amount of activity and an increased amount, you know, at least of trialing with the hope that we do start to find solutions that are can become scale and mainstreamed to help our overall uh, environment. You know, I think that is something that's important to everybody. I think we are going to start seeing accelerated results and, and we need that because, you know, just this morning I was reading that the amount of snowpack in California is lower than it needs to be for the water. And every day we see a world event, whether it's storms throughout the country that people are navigating or less snow than they've ever had before. You know, the climate change issues are real and it's our responsibility to work together to provide solutions as quickly as we can. For everyone listening in today to our Food for Thought podcast, thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find more of our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere you can find podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future and have a great day.